in your Bibles tonight, Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1, the first seven verses. When we come to chapter 2, we're going to come to the book of Revelation dealing and uh, letters written to the seven churches of Asia. And the first of these churches is Ephesus. That's where we're going to deal with tonight and look at. And uh, some folks believe that the seven churches and the letters of the seven churches refer to church ages. But I don't think that that's not an accurate way to interpret the scriptures. I'm confident that these seven churches were seven churches that existed at the time. And they had some of them had good things to say and some of them had bad things to say and some of them both. And uh, I think you can find characteristics of all seven of these churches in churches today. I think there's lots to pay attention to and lots to learn in our own churches as we study these seven churches of Asia, some things that we need to keep doing and keep working at and keep thriving for and other things we need to be warned about that we could be falling into some of the same traps. And we come to this passage of Scripture I'll begin reading in verse number 1 of chapter 2. The Bible says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for thy name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith of the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And we begin here in verse number 1, Revelation chapter number 2. The Bible says, under the angel of the church of Ephesus write. When we begin here to open up, uh, we see a message that is coming from God uh, through John to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now I want to back up and make just a moment of review because what and who is the angel of the church at Ephesus? Now, did the church at Ephesus had some glorified being with wings in it coming out of its back, floating around in the air, overseeing and doing spooky things in the shadows? No, the angel of the church of Ephesus was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. It was the messenger. Now, don't get the wrong idea about angels. The, the place perhaps that we get the idea that angels have wings is from the cherubim that we see throughout the Old Testament mentioned once in the book of Hebrews. But angels and cherubim are different things. And the angels that God talks about, the angels of God, are often and generally and almost always, especially when referred to by the word angel, are messengers. The word angel is literally a messenger. One of our famous, most favorite verses about angels, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Who brought that message? A messenger that God called an angel. Angel. Messenger. And so the Bible talks of the seven angels of the seven churches. And they are the pastors of the churches, the preachers, the messengers, the folks that God has ordained to lead and to stand up and bring the message of God. And so, under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Who is he that holds the seven stars? By the way, what are the seven stars? The seven stars are the preachers too. It's the, they're the messengers, the, the seven stars, the messengers, the angels. He that holdeth the seven stars, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Who's the seven golden candlesticks? The candlesticks are the churches. Because the candlesticks are the churches, and the churches hold up the light. The man that's walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks is none other than God himself. Is it Jesus or God? Yes. Is it Jesus or the Holy Spirit? Yes. And you remember John looked at him and he says, he looks like the Son of Man. You know why he looked like the Son of Man? Because he was. You know why he may have had a little different look than the Son of Man? Because it was God. It was God. It was God the Holy Spirit. God the Son and God the Father. They're not three. It's not a trichotomy of three gods. It's one God. We're monotheists. Believe in one God. And so that day when he saw that man walking that looked like the Son of Man, he said, it looks just like Jesus. It did because it was Jesus, but it was God. So the man that's walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks holding the seven stars, sending a message to the angel, it's none other than Jesus, our God, our Lord, our Savior, our Holy Spirit, God, our Creator. So God has a message. And the message is to the church at Ephesus. And it's going to be presented by the preacher at Ephesus. And here's what he says. Verse number 2. I know thy works. And thy labor. And thy patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles. And are not. And hast found them liars. He says, I've got some things to tell you about you that I think's really good. And aren't you glad that the Lord commends his people? I'm thankful, as rotten as I am, God, along the way, he says, look, buddy, thank you. You're doing good here. I'm also thankful that along the way he tells me, hey, listen here, buddy, you're really blowing it here. <laughs> it's good. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the church at Ephesus. Now, the church at Ephesus was an interesting place. Who do you think? probably founded the church at Ephesus. It's a famous couple in the Bible, Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla most likely were the founders of the church at Ephesus. Do you know who was most likely the pastor of the church at Ephesus? He was a great orator. And Aquila and Priscilla taught this man the doctrine of Christ. He was preaching the baptism of John. They taught him the doctrine of Christ and he kept preaching his name was Apollos. You know somebody else that was the, probably the pastor at the church at Ephesus? We have lots of reasons to believe it. How about Timothy? You know that guy? Timothy. 
You know who spent many years, probably three or more years in Ephesus with the church at Ephesus? The Apostle Paul. Now, the church at Ephesus, I'm just going to tell you something. They had a resume that was pretty impressive. I mean, Apollos, Paul, Timothy, Aquila, Priscilla. Wow. As far as early churches go, they had a great resume. And God wants to tell us some things, and God wants to help us with some things, and he wants us to see some things that are good and commendable. And that leads me to my first point, number one, the good. The good. We begin with the good. The Lord is going to commend them about some things, and we begin that in verse 2. The Bible says, I know thy works. I know thy works. Now, we'll begin to read more and understand more about this church at Ephesus, but I want to begin with just an emphasis here on their works. I know thy works. Now, this church was a church that was everlastingly added. I like the nature of the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus was the kind of church they weren't going to be satisfied with the status quo. They weren't going to be settling in to doing nothing, to playing church. They were busy about the Father's business. I know thy works. They were workers. They were go-getters. They were doing all they could. I'm sure that they had been taught by the Apostle Paul to make their time count, redeem their time to work efficiently and effectively and to be constantly working to win the loss and do the work of the church. I know thy works. I know thy works. I think it's important that the church does its work. Something fascinating about the pandemic, and I'm not patting us on the back, I promise. I just want to bring some, bring some, bring. <laughs> Sometimes the redneck just comes way out. Brian, I want to bring some things to y'all tonight. As I bring my fingers through the word, and I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to bring out. Uh, some truth here and some emphasis. During the pandemic of 2020, a lot of churches showed whether or not they were actually something that needed to be done or not. Essential. Remember the word essential, 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 essential. Hey, there are lots of churches and even whole denominations that determine, hey, look, what we do is not essential. We're just kind of something that we tack on to the side. I want you to know something. The work of the gospel and the matter of eternal souls, the preaching of the word of God, the investment that God has called us to in a community like this as a church is not something we're just playing at. The church at Ephesus they determined and deemed that the work that God had given them to do was something that was essential and important. And they were workers. I like it. I know thy works. I was thinking about our church. And I want to praise the Lord for our church. And I want to praise our, the Lord for all the many folks that are working. And many hands make light work. But we got a lot going on. I just happened to think about the last 24 hours in our church. You want to hear a little bit about it? Let's think about it. In the last 24 hours in our church, we've had three upward games three gospel presentations, 30-plus volunteers at Upward last night. Hallelujah, that's great. Till late last night. I've even had a couple people threaten that they're going to fall asleep during my message because they had to stay up so late last night. This morning at 5 a.m., our first radio broadcast aired. Today at 7 a.m., podcast became available and we had many downloads of folks that are listening, tuning in 
to 9 a.m. this morning. There's multiple radio stations that broadcast our daily radio broadcast. It started at 9 o'clock this morning. They're uh, preaching from our church going on in Iraq and Iran today and Belize today. For one hour today, we'll preach in Belize, South America. Hallelujah, that's good. This morning at July Middle School, a great group of kids met for the Middle School Bible Club. Today, all day long at July Elementary School, Travis led the way, and we taught Bible to children in our public school all during the day today. Tonight, we'll watch TV, and uh, we'll have an opportunity to minister the gospel to folks who watch all over three or four states here. And I'm thankful for that. It's good. We've been busy. That don't count. We came to church tonight. And all the folks that are in the nursery and the folks that are downstairs ministering to the children, teaching the word of God to the children, the folks down the road at the teen department preaching to our teens and investing in the lives of young people. Hallelujah. That's good. And I'll just tell you, sometimes I think about what else we're going to do this week and I get tired. May the Lord help us to be everlastingly at it. The Lord said to the church at Ephesus, I know your works. And the Lord is saying, yes, good work. Stay busy. The word of God says, work, for the night is coming. No man works no more. Work, it's good. I know thy works. Let's keep looking at it. I know thy works and thy labor. Thy labor. That word labor is a great word. The word labor is toil. At working. It's working that has a cost. And the Lord says to the church, he says, look, you guys are rolling up your sleeves and are working. I read in a commentary today as I was studying from W.A. Criswell. He said, some folks' life work for the gospel, for the work of the Lord, wouldn't exhaust a butterfly. I thought that was quite funny. The truth is, they were working. I know thy labor. You're a work that cost you something. When's the last time you did something for the Lord that cost you something? I spend some of my time, and I'm almost ashamed that I worry about it at all, but I want folks to be pleased and happy, and I want to serve folks, but... I spend, I spend a good bit of time concerned about whether or not this person's feelings are hurt or that person's feelings are hurt or whether that person's aggravated about something that we didn't do just right. And the truth of the matter is, Christians save people. Folks who have been saved more than two or three months, they ought to get to the place where it's not, they're not worried about what somebody did for them. They're worried about what opportunity they had to do for somebody else. And the spirit of a child of God is not one that whines and cries and complains. It's one that says, look, the Lord Jesus saved me. And the work of the word of God came to my heart and I got saved. And I'm not going to go to hell when I die. And I have the Holy Spirit indwelling me. And it's okay. I should labor for what God gave me. I pray God will give you a heart to labor. To roll up your sleeves and work and not get miffed about every little thing that comes around the corner. And I'm looking at me too because I can get a little whiny sometime in my own heart. I want to be the kind of person that labors. In the church at Ephesus, they were laborers. They were going to work. The Bible says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Now, that's a fascinating word, patience. Now, we understand the word patience because sometimes we lose our patience. But... The bottom line is the word patience in the scriptures right here and the word patience we find most of the time in the New Testament is this spirit that will not quit. Patience. 
Patience is a spirit that won't stop, a spirit that will keep going. Patience, it's a triumphant fortitude. It's steadfast. And the Lord commanded and commended, I should say, commended the church at Ephesus that they had patience. They weren't quitters. I read the story. I loved it. An evangelist liked to bird hunt, and he bought, him, he bought himself two bird hunting dogs. And uh, he kept them in his fenced backyard, and there was a bulldog came down the road one day, and you could tell that they were wanting to have a fight between his two bird dogs and the bulldog. And the first thought the evangelist had was, I'm going to put my dogs up, so we just keep this from happening. But then he thought again, he said, you know what? I think I might just let my two bird dogs whip that bulldog. Sure enough, the bulldog comes right up the road and hops the fence and gets out in the yard with the two bird dogs. The bird dogs whip him good. And when he's had all he can stand, he leaves, jumps the fence, and goes off somewhere and hides and licks his wound. Well, the next day, about the same time, here came the bulldog again. The bulldog jumped the fence. Them two bird dogs whipped the bulldog good. The bulldog took all he could take, and when he was tired and couldn't do anymore, he jumped the fence and went off somewhere and licked his wounds. The third day, the same thing happened. The, the evangelist began to think, well, surely this bulldog's going to learn his lesson. The evangelist had to leave and go out of town for a couple weeks. And when he got back home, he noticed that the bulldog was out in the backyard like he owned the place. He said, honey, what happened to his wife? He said, I don't know what happened, but that... Them two bird dogs whipped that bulldog every day until finally one day the bird dogs just decided they weren't even going to come out when he came. They gave up. They quit. The bulldog wouldn't quit and the bird dogs did and the bulldog has rule and reign over the backyard. <laughs> and that spirit is the spirit that the church at Ephesus had. They were patient. They weren't going to quit. They weren't going to quit. They weren't going to give up. I've met and talked to Faithful Christian people who have been in the midst of churches that have trouble. And they say, you know what? We'll be right here. That's where God wants us. We'll be right here. I've been counseling with a dear pastor friend of mine this week who's got a real mess on his hand from some lost knuckleheads that call themselves Christians. And he says, you know what, Cody? I'll be right here. And I say, fight it, brother. Fight the good fight. Stand up for the cause of Christ. Be the kind of Christian that has courage and a spine. It's going to take it. Serve the Lord in the moment in which we live. It's going to take courage and grit and patience. He says, I ain't quitting. Hallelujah. I like that about the church at Ephesus. May God give us that kind of spirit and demeanor. Patience. The Bible continues in verse number 2. I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. He said, I want to commend you. You guys as a church have come to the place where you just are not going to put up with things that God says is sinful and wrong. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. God... The Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, said to the church at Ephesus, Praise you. God bless you. You're doing the right thing when you stand up against sin and wickedness and what's wrong and contrary to what I call right and good. He says, I commend you. Thou canst not bear them which are evil. The Bible continues, And thou hast tried them which say, 
they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. What's he say? He says, look, this church is the kind of church that when they have to, they're going to deal with wickedness and sinfulness and rotten players. That's the part of the work of the church that nobody loves but is absolutely necessary. Oh, I'm so thankful. See, the church at Ephesus was the kind of church that was just going to stand for what's right, do what's right, deal with what needed to be dealt with. And God says, God bless you, I commend you. The Bible says in verse 3, And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. He says you've borne. You said, he says you've just, you've just borne up under the load. Folks, anybody that thinks that effective eternal church work is easy has never tried it. Has never tried it. But it's absolutely necessary that God's word is taught. It's absolutely necessary that we influence the children that God has blessed our homes with. It's absolutely necessary that we carry the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and saving faith from the consequence and penalty of sin, which is hell, to the lost in our community and around the world. It's absolutely necessary. And the Lord Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, God bless you, I commend you, you've borne up under it. And you've had patience. There it is again. You didn't quit. And for my name's sake has labored. Boy, I like that. Why are we doing what we're doing? Let me just tell you something. We're not doing what we're doing so we can big builder. I mean, build bigger. We're not doing what we're doing so we can impress our friends. We're not doing what we're doing so that we can brag about how good we're doing. We're not doing what we're doing for any earthly reason. We're doing what we're doing because we are called of God to preach the word, teach the word, win the lost, do the work of the church in our community and around the world. We have a reason. We're going to labor and we're not going to be patient. We're going to be patient. We're going to do it for his name's sake. This is for Jesus. He says, thou hast labored for my name's sake and hast not fainted. The Lord gives them applaud. The Lord commends them. He commends them for one other thing. Look at verse number 6. We won't spend much time here because we're going to talk about this again in the very near future. Verse number 6, the Bible says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Most people believe that the Nicolaitans were a party of people in the church that were trying to establish a priestly order of men. It was a group of people who were really proud of themselves, who were going against the gospel, against the word, against the truth that we find in God's word, the Nicolaitans. And God commends them that you hate the Nicolaitans just like I do. The good. Number two, let's consider this. The bad. Now, the Lord says, here's some great things. Here's some things I think are very good about this church. But I want to tell you something in verse before. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, what did he say? He said, 
These are really good things. Nevertheless, we've got a problem. Thou hast left your first love. You've left your first love. Now, when Jesus was asked, what's the first command with promise? What's the first commandment? What's the first commandment? What's the first commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You know what had happened at Ephesus? It's something that can happen and will happen at different times in all of our lives as we effectively and strive to minister and work for the glory of God in our church. In the Ephesian church, they tried to substitute activity. They had tried to substitute effort for the love of Christ burning in their hearts. You know, sometimes we do what we do just because it's our duty to do it. And I'm going to tell you something, duty is a good thing. Because what I found out is if we do the right thing out of duty, a lot of times along the way we'll find the heart to do it again. But I want you to understand something. When you get to the place where you identify that the work that you're doing for, the, for God and for the church is something that has just become duty-oriented and you're burnt out and you're upset and you're aggravated and you're bitter and angry about the duty that you have to do, if you feel that in your heart, let me tell you something. You've got the Ephesian church syndrome. The Ephesian church syndrome says that you have left your first love. Let me tell you something. The patience, the bearing, the work, the laboring, when it's done in the power of your flesh, not only is it brutal and difficult, it's impossible. Because of the labor that we do for God through the church, it must be a labor that begins and is rooted in the love that we have in our heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. At the church at Ephesus, they had all the programs still rolling and going. They had all the activities still rolling and going. And rightfully so. And God says, praise you, it's good. But the Lord speaks from heaven. He says, I want you to tell the church at Ephesus. He says, preacher, you preach this message to the Ephesian church that they're working, 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 but they are not working out of a heart of love for me. And I'm just going to tell you something. In every aspect and in every position and every role that is filled in this church, and it takes many, 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 many people to do the work that God has called us to do as this church. But in every position and every opportunity, from the least to the greatest, it is possible to attempt to substitute effort for a love for Christ. And I'll just tell you something. If we just do because we have to do out of duty and we don't do because we love what Jesus did in our hearts and we love Jesus and we know we are debtors to Christ and Jesus is our motivation and we don't do it in, for the glory of God, then we don't do it out of a love for Jesus, then we have done something that is empty. We need to beware. Do you know that there's no such thing as a Christianity that is stuck in one spot. Your, your faith and your nearness to the Lord is always in flux. It's one of those things that it's, it's, it's either regressing or progressing. 
And we're always to be pressing toward the mark. We're always to be moving toward the Lord. I want to ask you a question. Are you in love with Jesus? Are you in love with Jesus? I'll just tell you, when you're in love with Jesus, it doesn't hurt so bad to serve. When you're in love with Jesus, it doesn't hurt so bad to be ridiculed and criticized. When you're in love with Jesus, it doesn't hurt so bad when it costs. When you're in love with Jesus, you have far greater patience. You have more joy. You have more peace. When you're in love with Jesus... And you know what? When we realize that our hearts are cold towards the Lord, that's when we've got to ask the Lord to stir us up, to break us down, to bring us to the place where our heart is the kind of condition that it can be used for the glory of God. The church at Ephesus, the bad, they'd left their first love. They'd left their first love. Look, there's no substitute for the love of Christ in our hearts. There's no substitute for the love of Christ in our hearts. And we should be striving to love the Lord with all of our hearts. We should be taking to heart the word of God when it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We must be tending to the condition of our hearts, keeping ourselves in tune with the Lord, submitting to him and his will, serving Christ for the right reason. I may the Lord help us. He said, Church at Ephesus... Y'all are workers. Nevertheless, I have something against you. You've left your first love. The good. Number two, the bad. Number three, the solution. Look at the Bible says, verse 5. To the church at Ephesus, he says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. You know, I believe that the Lord will show you where you took a wrong turn. I always want to show you where you took a wrong turn. Verses that come to mind like, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. Come to my heart, come to my mind. A seeking and a looking and a willingness to ask God to show us where we messed up. If you found that your heart is cold to the Lord, if you found that you're just serving out of duty and you find yourself more aggravated and bitter in the midst of your serving King Jesus than joyful and peaceful and happy, let me tell you something, it's because you've left your first love. And I'm confident that if you'll ask the Lord to show you where you fell off the wagon, where you drop the ball. I'm confident he'll show you. Here's what he says. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. If you ask the Lord, you know what he's going to do? Some of the greatest things will happen. You ask the Lord, Lord, where did I, where did I lose this love? And I think you can, you'll be able to pray. And I think God is going to take you back to a moment where you, there's somebody that you should have forgiven that you didn't. I think God will take you back to a moment where there's unconfessed sin in your heart and life and you decided that you'd harbor it and keep it and hang on to it instead of giving it back to God. I believe when you ask the Lord to show you, to help you to remember where you failed, remember where you fell off, remember where it stopped, remember where the love began to wax cold, I think he'll show you. The Bible says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. And when you remember, what should you do? Repent and repent. That word repent means to turn away from it. Stop it. Repent. 
The Bible continues and says, and do the first works. Do the first works. Now, that's fascinating, isn't it? The first, what's the first works? The first works, get back to the basics. Get back to the basics. As I've studied this passage of Scripture and thought about the first works and thought about seasons of my Christian life where there was the most fire and fervor and zeal. I remember so many things about growing up here in this church. I remember going to church camp and Pastor Chuck was preaching church camp. I wasn't even attending here at church, attending here at church at the time, but I got invited to go to church camp with Pastor Chuck. It was the week we got Brother Fred as our youth pastor. What a great time. And I remember him preaching on the Ten Commandments. I remember I had my little Bible that Mamaw Bice had gotten me. And I had that Bible. And, and I remember taking a Bible. And, and for the really the first time that I remembered sitting in a preaching service and opening my Bible to where the preacher was preaching. And he was preaching for the Ten Commandments. He said, open your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20. And I was so amazed that I could open my Bible and find the Ten Commandments it was just, it blew, I was, this is awesome. I took a yellow highlighter and I highlighted the whole chapter. <laughs> this is the great, this is awesome. And I remember the Holy Spirit convicting me. I remember the Holy Spirit convicting me. Pastor Chuck preached on, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And let me just tell you, it convicted me big time that I had been using my mouth and talking filthy and cussing. And I shouldn't do that. I remember I repented of my sin. I came home excited about the Lord. I remember starting to come on Wednesday nights and we had Olympian journals. They were daily devotions and we got points for doing devotions. And I remember... That it became very important to me. That every day I had time to read my Bible. It wasn't a lot, but every day I had time to read my Bible. And had time to pray and memorize scripture. And I still quote so much of the verses I learned back then. And I remember how important it was for me to be at church. <laughs> this is silly. But it was important. That church, church was important to me. And I was going to be here. I had won the regional tractor operating competition for Southwest Virginia. I was big stuff, let me tell you. Big stuff. They had the state tournament. And I got the opportunity to go to the state tournament to compete. They had it on Wednesday night. They called, hey, Cody, we want you to go and compete in this tournament. I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. It's a Wednesday night. I'm going to church. Do what? I said, yeah, I'm going to go to church. I just don't go. I need to be, I need to be in church. <laughs> and I remember yearning in my heart for God's will. And, and I'm thankful. It's sweet. And there have been many times since my teen years that the fire and fervor and zeal for the Lord is rich and ripe. And I want it to be that way today. I want to please the Lord with my life. I want to love him with all my heart. I want to serve him. But it's not just something that the preacher should yearn for. It's something that all of us that have been saved by grace through faith, we should be yearning in our souls to serve God with a fervor and a zeal and a love. And not just out of duty doing. I'll just tell you, labor is a terrible substitute for love. They're both necessary.
But you make sure you love the Lord first. We should remember. We should repent. And then we should do the first works. We should do what God has called us to do. Look, we need to get back to the place where God's word is speaking to us. We need to get back to the place where we love Jesus. We've got to get back to the place where we know that God's got this and it's going to be okay. We need to get back to a place of simple faith in the Lord. The Lord said to the church in Ephesus, verse number 7, I'm sorry, verse number 5, he says, do the first works or else. <laughs> I circled those two words, or else. <laughs> Here's what he says. I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. What, what, what's the warning? Now, why is the church a light on top of a candle? Because we're a light. We're to be shining the light for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, look, for a time you may see people saved if you've lost your first love because of the labor and the power of the gospel. You may see some things move forward in your church and in your Christian life when you've lost the love. But there'll come a time and it'll come quicker than you expect that if you're continuing to work without the love of Christ in your heart. The Lord says, I'll remove your light. This church at Ephesus with its great beginning, Apollos, Aquila, Priscilla, Timothy, Paul, it's not there anymore. It's a light went out. And the Lord Jesus says, here's why it went out. Busy, busy, busy. That's good. Love, you've left your first love. You see, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ is of utmost importance. Let me tell you one more thing. Verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Have you ever seen a church with an ear? No. I mean, churches have lots of ears. We all have ears, right? He that hath an ear. I think everybody here's got ears. There are sometimes exceptions to that rule. If you have an ear, would you please raise your hand? That's good. If you have two, you're lucky. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches. What's the hope for the church? Is it somebody saying, boy, I'm praying this church will get right? There's a lot of people that like to pray that kind of selfish prayer. I'm praying that preacher will do something. I'm praying them deacons will do something. I'm praying. Uh-uh. He that hath an ear. Let me tell you something. You need to work on you. And I need to work on I. I got ears too. And may God help us as we begin to see that our first love fade to go back to that place where we know, we remember, and we tune back into the will and the Spirit of God, the love of Christ, the wonder of it all. There's a great little chorus. I have never lost the wonder of it all. I have never lost the wonder of it all. 
Since the day that Jesus saved me and a whole new life he gave me, I have never lost the wonder of it all. And you may say, I have. Let me tell you something sweet. You can get it back. You know what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus? He says, you've lost your first love. But he calls them and asks them and encourages them, get it back, get it back, get it back. Oh, man, we tune our hearts back into the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we...